0: Um, last week we talked about how if you imagine that you're in the woods and you fall into a pit you can almost get out of the pit but not quite and while you're down there in the pit giving up hope that you'll ever get out along comes someone with a rope and everything in that moment hangs on whether or not the person holding that rope is a good person or an evil person a kind person or one who intends harm to you because if the kind person comes up with a rope they're certainly going to lower that rope down remove you from the hole and restore you to a place of freedom and long life but if the person holding the rope comes down sees an opportunity to do harm to you and instead binds you there and leaves you you have lost all hope you're isolated and you're alone and you're withdrawn from those you love and those who love you for the rest of your life you're headed towards captivity and death and the what we talked about last week is that this is what happens when we have sin in our life we find ourselves in the pit by our own mistakes and our own making we're down there and we don't know how to get out and when god comes along and he's the one holding the rope what we find is that god shows up and his intention is to pull us out of the pit and the rope that god uses to pull us out of the pit is guilt Guilt, which is a good and and healthy response to us to have when we've done something wrong. Guilt is a gift from God. It is intended to help us diagnose what we've done wrong, come up with a treatment plan to remedy the the relationships that have been broken by our actions and to break the bonds of that wrong behavior so that we can live a life that moves towards freedom and moves towards coming out of the pit and now living in God's presence once again. Guilt is a healthy response to our wrong actions, and God gave it to us to get out of those things. So last week we talked about how uh, like a fever tells you that something is wrong with your physical body, so guilt tells you that there's something wrong with your spiritual body, so that your body can then jump to action to fix what's been broken, restore what has been uh, destroyed. That that's what God desires. But when Satan shows up and he's the one holding the rope, He seeks to bind us, and he doesn't bind us with guilt. Satan's tool and rope that he uses to hold us in bound, imprisoned, entrapped, death, leading to death, isolation, is shame. Is shame. In the early moments that we're in the pit. It's hard to tell the difference between guilt and shame, and so we're talking about it for a couple of weeks. We're talking about what it is, because when you're in that moment, and maybe you've been in that moment reliving it over and over again for some time in your life, you need to know whether it's God's guilt that's trying to pull you out of your problem or Satan's shame that is binding you in there, refusing to let you out. And it's only when you are aware which one that you have that you begin to follow the steps to get out of the pit. So last week we talked about how if it leads you towards freedom and healing and restoring your standing with God and with others, then it is good God's guilt. But if instead it leads you towards fear and anxiety and isolation and entrapment and leads to death and loneliness and despair and a sense of worthlessness, that's not from God. That's shame. And if you're entrapped in in the, the snares of shame, then today what we're going to be talking about is how you have to begin to understand that Satan is using lies to bind you there. And the way that you get out of Satan's shame that's holding you in the pit is that you have to understand what the lies are and you have to start understanding that if you can grasp God's truth, which, which undermines Satan's lies, which lets you look in the mirror and say what Satan is telling me and lying to me about that is holding me in this pit is not true, That once you reclaim God's truths for your life, you're able to break free and accept God's good guilt and get out of the pit. But you have to expose the lies for the lies. So that's what we're going to be doing and looking at this morning. Uh, We're going to be looking at at how guilt uh, works was more last week. And this week, what we're going to do is understand how Satan uses the lies of shame to hold us into the pit. Uh, We also talked about reaching out, and this is just kind of a a brief, important recap that we talked about last week. Actually, I didn't talk about it in this service, so this will be good for me to do. Um, I was asked last week at the end of, uh, in between the two services, uh, why is it that sometimes when I go try and talk to people about their sin problem, that they don't have this awareness you're talking about that they either should have guilt or shame, and, and, and they say, I'm just giving them a guilt trip. I'm just giving them a guilt trip. And it, and it reminded me that I needed to briefly talk about this, because this is very important. What we are talking about in these two weeks is people who are aware that they've done something wrong, and that they either have guilt or shame about it. We are not talking about people who have done something morally wrong or sinned against God or others and who they think they're in the right. Because if you go to someone and sticking with our kind of illustration and metaphor here that we've been using of the pit. If you go to someone and you say, I want to help you out of this pit that you've gotten yourself into by doing something wrong. And and they say to you, I don't feel like I've done anything wrong and you say, well, I think you have, and I think you need to deal with it and start restoring relationships, and they say, I don't think I need to do that, then kind of with the illustration, what you would have to do to give them the guilt and shame to begin start working through stuff is shove them into the pit, right? That's what you would have to do using this kind of illustration. And only then, after you have violently shoved them into the pit, convinced them of their wrongdoing, can you then kind of look down and say, all right, you ready to start getting better now? And it really is as if you were tripping them into the pit so that you could use guilt to get them out. Now, there's ways to do that in conflict resolution and talking to people about sin and morality, but it's just not what these sermons are about. And I think that that's important, that if you're trying to give people your guilt about their actions that they don't already have, we're just doing something else altogether. And so don't do that. Uh, What we're talking about is people that are aware that they have done wrong things and it is weighing on them. They're in the pit and they know it. And you just have to choose whether you're going to be an agent of God that tries to help get them out or an agent of Satan who is fine with them staying in the pit for as long as they want. Who are you going to partner with once they're down there is the question. And that's what we have to be, be asking. And that's what we have to be working towards. And so as we begin thinking about what it means to be partnering with God, we need to be talking about the lies Satan tells us. As I was thinking about it over the last week um, and preparing for this lesson, one of the things you'll notice is that I started thinking about for these lies that Satan tells us, I could find a Disney character from one of their major animated movies for every single one of these lies. That the major plot of the movie, a Disney movie, is will this character be able to see, now they don't call it Satan's Lies in Disney movies, But will they be able to overcome the shame that has come upon them as a result of this lie that they've bought into? It's the actual plot of movies we show our children. That's how significant and ingrained into our very identities shame is. And we talked last week about how guilt is a process we learn at age 3 to 6, and shame is something we start learning at age 18 months. Like when we're still learning to walk, we understand shame. And so it's an easy story to tell to children. Is how do you overcome the lies of shame in your life? And so I've got these Disney characters that are connected with each one of the lies. That may land better with some of my 10 o'clock audience than this one. Um, But such is uh, the nature of, of this lesson that we're going to be exploring that. And so the first lie that Satan uses to effectively bind us is this. He tells you, you are a broken, worthless human. You always have been, and you always will. You're a street rat. You're a trash human with no value, and that will never change. This is, in Disney, the Aladdin lie. The lie that because he has no wealth, and he comes from the street, that he will never grow beyond his early life status to become someone that has any value or is worthy of being loved or cared about at all. And, and this lie, once we grab onto it, is crippling for life. And it's a tool that once Satan has these ropes wrapped around you that you don't matter to God or anybody else, that you have no value, that you have no importance, and and if someone tries to help you, just tell them, no thanks, I'm not worthy of being helped, I belong here. If that lie has taken root in your life, you cannot get out of the pit until you label that lie a lie. so what I have to tell you today, if this is a lie that you've been struggling with, is this, is that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, at the very beginning of creation, the beginning of the, the book that is God's very word to his people in every age, God, it tells us this, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And it doesn't go deep into psychology or anything else to give you this truth that comes from God. God made you in his image. God made you, male and female, in the image of the almighty creator. Your value is not determined on who your parents were or what your ethnicity is or where you were born or how much money you have or how much influence and power you wield. It is based on this one thing. God made you in His image. When it comes to your value nothing else matters and there is nothing that you can do that can reduce the value of a, a image bearer of the creator god and so if you're someone who's bought into this lie that you're just a street rat with no value you need to know that it's just a lie And that the truth from God is that you are his child made in his own image. The second lie that Satan tries to bind us with is that you need to hide whatever it is that you're ashamed of. Whatever it is that you don't want everyone else to know, you have to keep it secret. And if you can keep it secret, you won't be exposed. And if you don't get exposed, you won't endanger others. And so whatever it is that causes you shame, this secret sin that you have in your life, just lock it away in the deepest, darkest recesses of your heart and your mind. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Don't act on it. And certainly don't let anyone else know. Keep your secret shame as secret as possible which is, if you've seen Frozen, the Elsa lie, a lie that was given to her early in her childhood, that that the powers that she had to freeze stuff should be kept secret because it could be harmful to others. And if she let her powers out, people would be hurt, and she should be deeply ashamed about her most secret, secret shame. She should hold it there and let it fester. And she goes from having a great relationship with her, her sister and her family and with others to having joy in her life to being someone who spends her entire life locking herself away so that she doesn't accidentally tell someone about her secret shame. This lie drives us into isolation, and it breaks our relationships. And even the relationships we do have become artificial because we don't want to let someone get close enough to know the darkness inside of us. So we hide it. This is the lie that Satan gives to Adam and Eve in the garden that results in them eating the fruit and then hiding among the trees. So then in Genesis 3, verse 8 through 10, it says that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man and he said to him, where are you? He said, "I I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. We read the story and it just, it feels like silliness to imagine it, but the reality is that every single one of us has found ourselves in this situation before, where we've got a secret shame that we're afraid that if we go pray in God's presence, that he'll see right through us to the very heart and see what we are trying to hide. And so instead of going to be in God's presence where He can do the work of restoring and forgiving and making us whole again, what we do is we hide. And we may not hide by completely withdrawing from God's presence or from conversations or prayers or relationship with Him, but we may just make it artificial enough that there's no chance that it'll go deep enough for God to deal with the deep stuff, the shame that we're hiding. So we pray to God about better weather and sicknesses in our jobs, and then we close the door and hit amen as fast as we can and get out of there before God sees what we're trying to hide. If you buy into this lie, you need to push against the isolation that it it creates And move instead into relationship, deep relationship with someone you can trust. With God and with another brother or sister in Christ who you can start sharing that secret shame with. Because once it comes to light, you find out that that light kills this lie. Confession kills this lie that you have to hide your shame. You cannot hide it. God's liberating truth is that God already knows you, the good and the bad, that God already sees everything that you've done before, that God already has forgiven you and is only waiting for you to lean into that forgiveness and trust that God sees you, forgives you, loves you, and wants to restore you and can't until you show up in His presence and let Him and expose Satan's lie that you need to hide your shame. The third lie, so let's see, to review, the first one is uh, you're broken and worthless no matter what. The second one is you can hide it and God won't know. The third lie is this, that God no longer loves you because of your actions, that maybe you once had value, but now you've done this thing and you need to run away. So after Scar tricks Simba into thinking he's killed his father, he tells him, run Simba. Run and never return. Because if your family and your friends and the others learn of what you've done, they will never love you. So just run away and don't ever come back because you can't face their disappointment and their lack of, of trust that you could ever be restored to the person they once knew you to be. God no longer loves me because of my actions. If your actions can cost you God's love, then you have to also believe that your actions can earn you God's love. We're going to get to that in a second, but, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4-9 through nine says this, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And so here's here's the message from a, from Paul to the church in Ephesus. You don't get saved because you're good enough. You don't get saved because you're good enough. You get saved by the grace of Jesus Christ that, that was given to you in his death and resurrection and you now being in him. That's what saves you. And if it's grace that saves you, we have to ask, can you be good enough to earn your salvation? No, you can't. And And we're often willing in our best moments to begin to grasp the beauty and amazing nature of this kind of grace that we cannot earn our own salvation by our own works. But once we are in Jesus Christ and we get this this sin action that knocks us back into the pit, we buy into the lie that God has somehow stopped loving us. And it's the same lie. The lie that tells some people only if you are good enough can you earn your salvation is the exact same lie that you can be bad enough to lose grace. That there is a point that can come in your life where you can say, if if I've made this mistake and I believe that God doesn't love me anymore, we've lost our confidence in the grace of God because it's two sides of the same coin. You can't be good enough to earn your salvation and you can't be bad enough to lose it. Because it's not by our actions that we're saved or lost, it's by the grace of God that we get them both. It's by the grace of God that we're forgiven, not because we've earned it. And so in the same side, the other side of the same coin, your bad actions can't lose this. You have to expose this lie of Satan that God has somehow stopped loving you because you made a mistake. You were full of mistakes. While you were still lost in your transgressions is when God sent Jesus to save you. What makes you think that your transgressions are going to make him change his mind this time around? It's built into the equation. Humans will mess up, except for the one who died on the cross to save us. That's grace. And he saves us over and over and over again, not just the once, but even after you mess up next time. He's still going to be there to pick you up, to restore you. God's liberating truth is that your actions did not merit his loving you first, and your actions cannot cause you to lose his love now. And the fourth is this, that the cross of Jesus Christ can save lots of people from lots of sins, but not me from this. This is kind of the beast lie. Maybe I once was a good person, but now I've become a monster, and no one can love the monster. The monster is unlovable, and the monster's nature is to just do wrong. And so here I am, stuck with this beast of a face, beast of a life, beast of decisions, trapped in this curse, unable to get out. Sure, lots of people can work their way through the things that they've got to work through, but not me. I'm just a monster. I'm not the kind of person that can be saved by grace. So we read Ephesians 1, where God exposes this lie as a lie. For God chose us. In love, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of grace that God has lavished upon us. If you want to buy into this lie that you're a monster who is outside of the saving power of the cross of Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to be willing to do. I want you to imagine that Jesus Christ is standing here and he's standing there with the scars on his hand and the scars on his side, the same one that Thomas and the apostles saw and touched and were aware that this is the man who hung on a cross to save us. You have to be willing to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, son of God, I know that you died on a cross. I know that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. And what you did is absolutely incredible. And thank you so much. But Jesus, I've got to tell you, what you did was not good enough to save me. That's what you have to do. If you want to buy this lie that your sins are more than his saving action on the cross, you have to be able to look him in the face and say, Jesus, I'm so thankful for what you did, but you didn't give enough to save me. Because that's the lie Satan has convinced you. And if you're not willing to tell that lie to Jesus... You've bought that lie and you're living it so deeply that it's consuming you. And here's what I can promise you. If you're willing to try this, to go into a prayer place where you enter into the presence of Jesus Christ and envision Him in front of you with the scars in His hands and His side, and and you can see where the thorns were on His head, and you can look at Him and say, Jesus, what you did on the cross was not enough to save me and what I've done wrong. What I did, my mistakes are more permanent than your saving actions. If you honestly look at Jesus and see him looking back at you, that lie will die on your lips. Because what Jesus did on the cross is greater than your sins. It just is. It just is. And you'll see it in his face, and you'll see it in his hands, but more than anything, you're going to see it in his heart. His heart that loved you enough to do what he did so that you could be saved, so that he could get you out of the pit and break through the change that Satan has been giving you through his lies to leave you there. Jesus wants to pull you out so bad that he gave his life what does this look like? What does this look like in in life? In Scripture, there's a story. It's a parable, but it helps us to see what it really looks like when this happens. And the parable is in Luke chapter 15, and we don't have time to read through it today, but you know the story. You know the story of the son who takes his father's inheritance before his father has died, and he takes it and he squanders it in wild living and parties and celebrations and all the stuff he shouldn't have been spending it on. And the money runs out, and a famine comes, and he has no wealth or health, and He now finds himself living among the pigs, taking care of them, longing to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs are eating. And the only way you end up in the pigsty longing to eat what the pigs are eating is if you've been bound by shame by Satan's lies. And you stay there because you're convinced that you've become worth less than pigs and you're there because you've become convinced that you must keep secret what you've got and stay isolated you can't go back home because they'll see the things you've done how you squandered what you did what you wasted your father's inheritance and your life and his good name and all the honor that you could have had and that you should have had on your father's behalf And you think you can't go back, so you stay isolated living with with pigs in the pigsty. Believing that your father couldn't love you enough to possibly welcome you back. That's what the lies that Satan tells us about shame do to us. It leaves us in the pit with the pigs. And if we can just halfway break free of the lies, just halfway break free of those lies, we'll come up with a plan that's something like what he comes up with, which is I can go home and my father will still be ashamed of me. He certainly won't welcome me in as a son, but maybe he'll give me a job as a servant. Maybe I could be better off with my father's pigs than I am here with this this other person's pigs. Maybe my father will love me enough to just treat me like a servant and a slave for the rest of my life. That's where we halfway break through the lies. And so many of us live in that place in our relationship with God, where we're going home hoping to ask God that he'll just treat us like a mediocre, disappointed servant. But that's not how the parable ends. Because Jesus tells us that the God who is the Father... Exposes the lies and restores, restores, removes the shame, just destroys the shame. The father runs to the son and he hugs him and he welcomes him home and he throws a celebration and the son is, is brought back to full restoration with God and family and with others. And there's the whole mess with the brother, but that's a different sermon. What you need to know is that when you go home expecting to break through half the lies, God destroys all of them and exalts you and heals you and restores you and welcomes you with a full, loving, fatherly embrace because his child came back. He lowers the rope, and he helps us out. He doesn't leave us in the pit. He doesn't leave us with the pigs. He doesn't make us his half-disappointed, this is what I've got left over servant. He brings us home, and we're now his sons and his daughters. And there's a celebration because we've bought into his truths and rejected Satan's lies. Listen, if you're here, and you've been bound in the pit for so long that you don't think you're worth it, it's a lie. If you feel like what you've done is more than the cross of Jesus can forgive, it's a lie. If you think that God won't fully welcome and restore you back, that is a lie. And God's word exposes those lies as lies and invites you home instead. And so I said this last week, this is how we end, this is how we'll end today. If you know someone who's bound in the pit by their shame and you leave them there, then you're no better than the Levite and the priest who walked by the guy that had been robbed and beat up on the side of the road. It's your job to be the Samaritan that goes in, picks them up and says, I'm going to do some of the work that God needs me to do to help restore you to a person who is moving towards freedom and towards life and towards God. I've got to tell you some of the things I've learned lately. And any objection that you have, I'm going to tell you right now, it is a lie from Satan and not a truth from God. Because God just wants you moving towards health and restoration. And if you're stuck in isolation and death, that's not because God wants you to be there. It's time for you to start getting free, unbound, set back on the path God wants you to be on and if you'll do it I promise you God throws a party because his son and his daughters have come home if you need to respond to the gospel this morning